Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good, good. We're welcoming you across our four campuses, as well as the thousands of people who are joining us online right now. And uh, some of you who are sitting in lawn chairs at the St. Charles campus out on our lawn watching a great big LED screen, welcome to Inspiring Stories with Daryl Strawberry. Uh, Now, we're going to jump in in just a minute to the interview, but first, I get to announce the winners of the baseballs. So, uh, because of COVID, we couldn't have Daryl signing baseballs uh, one-on-one with people afterwards, uh, but we're able to give away 10 baseballs. So, uh, you registered either online or at one of the campuses, and here are the names of people who have got a Daryl Strawberry autographed baseball coming their way. Nancy Camora, David Baldwin, Zach Rojas, Andrew First. David McDaniel, Tina Cox, Jeff Onetta, Kelly Strassner, Jim Kay, and Tim Benning. Let's give it up for those people. Yeah. All right. And uh, let me just say to all of you who are watching, whether in person or online, at any time during this interview, Uh, If you're sensing, like, I would really like somebody to pray for me, there is a number on the screen. We'll put it on the screen right now. Just keep that number handy. If you'll text in that number, text in the word pray, uh, immediately after the interview, after the service, we will get in touch with you, one of our prayer team members. We love to pray around here, so give us an opportunity uh, to pray for you. Now, Daryl, we're going to jump right right into things. Uh, I love baseball. Uh, in fact, I'm in mourning right now because, yeah, you know what happened to my cubbies a couple of days. We did not last long. We had no bats, dude. In fact, you could have been in the lineup and helped us out. It, it would have helped. What do you think? Hey, Daryl on the Cubs? Yeah. yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know about that, Pastor. Cubs, I'm in Cub country, you know, the Cubs country. Uh, it was always fun coming uh, to Chicago and playing in Wrigley, so I had a great time uh, playing against the Cubs. Well, you are uh, a former Mets player who now lives in St. Louis. You couldn't get any worse than, you know. But we love you anyway, and we're, we're glad you're here. Well, thank you. I, I, I want to introduce you to, to our crowd by asking some uh, simple baseball questions. Your favorite baseball hero? Pete Rose. Uh, Pete Rose was an amazing player. I think most people don't understand him. The younger generation don't even really know who he was. And, and he wasn't the most talented player. But he was the most exciting player, you know, to me because his uniform was dirty. And that's what a baseball player is supposed to look like. He's supposed to have a dirty <laughs> uniform. If he doesn't have a dirty uniform and he's played a game, then something's wrong. Yeah, Charlie Hustle, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, favorite ballpark to play in? Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium was a great ballpark. You know, the uh, backdrop was really dark. The only problems we had at Shea Stadium, we had planes flying across all, all night, but as um, far as that, you know, I, I just love hitting in that ballpark. Friendly confines at Wrigley Field? Here, yeah, yeah, up. I mean, Wrigley Field was great. The bleacher bums are, they're crazy out there in Chicago. You know? <laughs> they are. Yeah. They are. Hardest pitcher to hit? Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan was so different. I mean, his demeanor was just different than any other pitcher. You know, you, you, you could face a lot, I faced a lot of guys, you know, and you stand in there and you look, you look at them and they kind of look at you, but they don't have this uh, demeanor like Nolan Ryan. So his demeanor was like 
you better get in the box. You know, <laughs> You're and going then, down. Yeah, yeah, and then you, and then also you better not dig in too. You know, and that that was the thing about Ryan. You know, if you if you was up there and you were playing around too long and you're digging in, and he's gonna like throw one right under your chin and just let you know. Wow. Yeah. And it's gonna be coming pretty fast. It's gonna be coming yeah. fast. Yeah. There's no yeah. question about it. Yeah. If there's one thing you could change about the game of baseball today, what would it be? Um, being able to break up a double play. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you can't, you can't, if a guy is standing there to break up a double play, they say, well, you can't slide in hard or whatever that was the case. And that wasn't the case when I was playing. You wanted to break up a double play. I remember playing the Cardinals and Ozzie Smith. I went in so hard to try to break up a double play on it, and I slid so hard, and he just like hopped over me. I didn't see him. He hopped over me, and he looked at me after, and he turned around and goes, not today. You know, so you got to get out of the way. And plus, you know, having uh, another thing I would change is allowing you to run the catcher over at the plate. You yeah, know, he's yeah. got to get out of the way. I mean, the plate is part of is his and it's a part of mine's too. And, you know, I have the right to be able to run him over. You are old school. I'm old school yeah, player. Yeah. 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 None of this polite stuff. Best manager you played for. The best manager is um, Davey Johnson and Joe Torrey. And the reason why I say that, because those two played the game. You know, if a manager's played the game, he understands players. He understands the personality of his players. And those two managers really understood the personality of who we were and, and, and know how to deal with players. Because it's hard to deal with players. You know, everybody has, everybody comes from different places and they have a different uh, outlook on life and, yes. and, and a lot of guys like to talk and managers have to be able to keep that clubhouse together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we've been talking about baseball. I want to get to your personal life and we're going to start right at the beginning. As you were growing up, uh, you had a dad who was a huge negative influence in your life. Tell us about your dad. My dad was, uh, he, was a, he was a raging alcoholic and, you know, he would come home and and it would always be chaotic. The house was dysfunctioned because of the fact that he was this person. And he came home for the last time. I was about 14 years old. And he woke the family up and we heard him. My, my brothers, we all got up. And you know, my older brother, Michael, told him, I want you to just get out here and leave us alone. And then he started chasing him around the table. And then he pulled out a shotgun. And, and he said he was going to kill the whole family. And had it not been for my mother, that sweet, wonderful lady, had it not been for her, we would have killed him that night. You know, he pulled out a shotgun, but she, she let us know later that she had taken the shells out of the shotgun, but we didn't know that. My brother Ronnie went in and grabbed a butcher knife, and I grabbed a frying pan, and he was chasing my brother Michael, and me and Ronnie was just about to eliminate him because we had been through so much. My, you know, he used to beat us, and he, he said I would never go on to be anything, and uh, he was just a raging alcoholic, and... And it was just, a, it, was a, it was a hard way to live. See, what people don't understand, Pastor, brokenness is real. Yeah. Doesn't matter, you put a uniform on, you, you, you're rich, you're famous, you're successful, brokenness is real. And I was broken before I ever put a uniform on, you know, because of the fact of the dysfunction in my home. And a lot of people don't understand, lawlessness brings about brokenness and brings about broken kids. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we're hearing this and in our hearts we're saying, Oh, it's too bad that you had that kind of a childhood. But the fact of the matter is that kind of a childhood carries over into adulthood. What, what were the lasting, uh, you know, what was the lasting impact of growing up with a dad like that? Well, the lasting impact was very, being very empty, you know, on the inside, regardless of 
um, how successful I became. See, my pain led me to my greatness, but my greatness would eventually lead me to my destructive behavior. And it's real. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Yes, I was privileged, lived behind community gates. All that is just stuff. That's no, that does not make you well. I, if I can get a society to understand that, it's not going to make you well. I don't care how many cars you have. I don't care how big a house you have. Well, guess what? A car is a car. A house is a house. You live in a house. It doesn't matter how big it is, how small it is, it's not going to change you on the inside. It's not going to change what needs to be changed on the inside. And I think so many of us think that, you know, that's the case. And I thought that was the case too. And I was wondering, I was trying to always fulfill myself with all this stuff, but I was wondering why was I so empty on the inside? It was, it was that empty void. It's that empty void that Solomon talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes. He talks about that empty void on the inside that only God can fill. It's the shape on the inside of every last one of us, every last one of us, that empty void that only one person could fill that empty void, and that's God. It's not stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you start out. Yeah, we could yeah, share that. We could share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you start out with this hole in your heart and a dad who says you're never going to amount to anything. Uh, you lock on to baseball early on as a kid. How did you get started in baseball? Well, I got started in baseball because of all the different coaches that came into my life. They became like father figures to me. Uh. Uh, because I didn't have a father, you know, my, after that uh, night of uh, devastation, my mother uh, put my father out and told him that's it, you know, because she saw that the kids were headed for the wrong direction. And then all these different coaches started coming into my life to help me play baseball, Mr. Mosley, and I had one of my dear friends, uh, Rennie, who invited me to, to play at a little, a little league park. You know, he invited me to come to practice, and they snuck me over to the side because after the coach saw me throw a curveball, he said, oh, you're going to be on our team. <laughs> and that was so funny. And then I started a little league with him, and we started playing baseball. And, and then I had so many different coaches. My high school coach, um, basketball coach, they taught me discipline. You know, because I, my first year in high school, I, I, I really – I had some struggles, you know, because I was still broken. I had these real struggles. I wanted to play baseball. I remember running off the field and then walking halfway. And then I remember my coach coming, thumping me in the head and said, don't you ever uh, walk off this field because I walked. And he was like, hustle. Yeah, you And I took, the, I took the uniform off right there and threw it in his face and quit. You know, so right there tells you, you know, the brokenness of who I was, you know, because I, you, you, you could think you're great as far as the – being an athlete and everything, and that's great, but at the same time, if you, don't, if you don't have the real character about yourself and knowing who you are, you're gonna struggle, and I struggled for so, so long, and I had all these different coaches come along to help me and bring about a lot of discipline. So I've read that story in your book. You quit you know, high school baseball, and you had to be humbled to, uh, to come back. How, how did you end up back on the team? <laughs> I did, I had to be humbled. Well, I started playing basketball, and you know, you mess up in school in the class sometime, and your, your coaches find out you, you struggled, you did something in class, and they have you in basketball, they make you run suicides all day. You know, <laughs> if anybody knows what that is, that's line, a line, a line, a line, <laughs> suicide. So they bought discipline. So I had to discipline myself, and basketball disciplined me, and then, I, and then I go on back to baseball to humble myself and come back that year, my junior year, and have a great year, 
and four guys get drafted on my team. And we lose the city championship that year in 1979 to John Elway and, and, um, at Granada Hills. They beat us in, at Dodger Stadium. So uh, He ended up throwing footballs better than Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, well, he yeah. couldn't hit a curveball. You know, that's what they say, you know. But he ended up, yeah, exactly throwing yeah, the football. Yeah, but um, yeah. he had a, a remarkable career. And I, I just remember that, you know, playing against him in high school. And it, it was fun. So you ended up deciding to skip college and go right into you got drafted uh, right into in, into baseball was that a good decision as you look back good decision to go right right into the pros were you ready for that or as you you know reconsider from this perspective would you do it over differently no I wouldn't you know because because everybody's journey is going to be their journey sure and some journeys are going to be a lot harder than the average person and 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 because my journey had to go the way it had to go. When, you know, when I look back, I, I made the right decision. I wanted to play baseball. I was drafted by the Mets, uh, number one pick in the draft. Um, they came and got me out of class and, and said, you've been drafted by the New York Mets. And I was like, great, because I wanted to play. No, you don't understand. You're the first pick in the draft. I was like, okay. Uh, that's good. Uh, I just want to play. And they say, you've been drafted by the Mets and you're going to be playing in New York. I says, okay, where the heck is New York at? Because <laughs> I was just a California guy. I'd never been out of California, only on the trips where we played um, summer ball. Because uh, Eric Davis was my best friend. He played, he, he played on the same summer ball team with me. He batted lead off. I batted third. Chris Brown was the uh, number uh, cleanup hitter. We all play professional ball, and we just, we just knew that we wanted to play in the big leagues. So you get drafted by the Mets. Okay, just got to share this with you. I hate the Mets. <laughs> all right, I mean, I love you, bro, but, you know, the Mets, and it, it's got nothing to do with the Mets team you played on. Yeah. It dates back to 1969 when I'm just a boy. Okay, the middle of August, the Cubs are nine and a half games up. Kenny Holtzman pitches a no-hitter. I mean, it's, we're going to the World Series. Mets were, were, were nine and a half back. St. Louis was eight and a half back. Okay, in, in the course of the next month and a half, the Cubs couldn't win to save their lives, and the Mets couldn't lose. And by the end of the season, the Mets are eight games ahead of the Cubs, first place, go on. Yeah, that was so disgusting, so disheartening. <laughs> it's, it's like the, the biggest collapse in baseball history. And, it was your Mets. I know it was the Miracle Mets, Tom Seaver and those guys. And yeah. I, I think that the black cat that ran out at Shea Stadium when the Cubs were there. <laughs> <laughs> I, think the, I just think the Cubs, were, they had a curse on them for so long. You know, it was yes. just yeah. so bad. You know, everybody talks about that, you know, what happened. And, but, you know, yeah. you, like you said, the, <laughs> the way you think about the Mets, I mean, that's the same way I think about the Cubs, you know, because in 84, you know, in 84, we should have, we would have won it had, had it not been for Sutcliffe. Rick Sutcliffe, y'all made that trade. Y'all made that trade to get him. He comes over and he goes 16 and 1 because we had the Cubs that year and they go on to win the division, then the Cardinals in 85. So it, it, it was, it, it's a little, I, I, I give you that, coach. I, I mean, uh, Pastor, I'm calling you coach. Yeah, you got the, he's got the jersey on, so I'm calling him coach. coach. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, 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 that was a, you know that was. Well, you know, we had this chat last night in the, in the interview, and and some friend texted me afterwards and said, "Get over it." I know. <laughs> I know. So, well, yeah. well okay. I can imagine what um Harry Carey was saying. Holy cow! <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, you start off in the minor leagues, of course, and uh, and then one day you're advanced to to the you know to the majors. 
Your first game, good game, bad game, how did it start for you? That was an 0 for game. I faced um, Cincinnati Reds, Mario Soto, who was at the top of his game, and he had a tremendous changeup, you know, and I was young, and he just punched me out a couple of times. But, you know, I, I looked at that game, and, and I struggled when I first got to the big leagues, and I looked at that game, and I just thought, well, welcome to the big leagues. It's, yeah. it's going to be a lot different than it is playing in the minor leagues. Yeah. Um, and you struck out a couple of times, didn't you? I struck out a couple okay, times. Let's you know. just be honest. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. no question yeah. about it. My first couple, my, <laughs> I think two or three times in that <laughs> game. You know, here was all this hype about me, you know, 6'6". Six, yeah. six. Um, but, but you end up rookie of the year by the I, end of the year. So let's, let's get that straight. Uh, yeah. What was that like? What was it like handling all that fame and adulation and whatever? Rookie of the year. Well, I, I can tell you this, Pastor. I, I really didn't want the fame because that's not important. I just wanted to play baseball. Yeah. Because it's, it's a lot that comes with that. It's a tremendous amount of responsibility uh, of dealing with fame and fortune. And I think a lot of times people like myself, you know, come from somewhere, come from nothing. Uh, that really doesn't change me as a person, but that changes the situations around you because people see you different. Yeah. Um, I was raised by my mother. I was raised right, you know, and fame came along and I became a heathen, you know, mm -hmm. because all of this whole lifestyle and my mother just looked at me and she thought, are you crazy? Yeah. You know, what a little sweet self because she was a woman of faith and raised us right. And here it is. I get into this fame life because my mother wasn't consumed with me being Daryl Strawberry, the baseball player. She was more concerned about me living right yep. Than, yep. than having the fame and the fortune. And you had, I mean, let's go back to the beginning of your story. You got this father hole in your heart, a, a, a dad who didn't think you'd ever amount to anything. So you start filling this hole, you know, with, with the fame comes the drugs, the alcohol, the, you know, the womanizing. Was this, um, were these kind of temptations uh, did your team help you resist them, or did your team kind of lead you into them? <laughs> well, a lot of guys on the team was a part of it, too. So, you know, it's just, it's just the lifestyle. You know, you only had a few guys um, that were different, and they had played in, at the major league level, and, and they lived a different life. You know, Mookie Wilson lived a different life. Gary Carter lived a different life. Gary Carter and Mookie were Christians. They didn't live among the wild style, lifestyle, you know, they lived family. And it was amazing, it's amazing uh, in an example that you really can't do that. And most guys don't do it. You hear a lot of guys talk about Christ, but do they actually live it? And Gary Carter lived a life of Christ. He was a prime example of what the gospel looked like. He didn't preach to us, he just lived it. He smiled, his family was the most important thing. And I remember in his passing, and I remember how Johnny Bench, you know, spoke at his memorial and said, oh, Gary wanted to be like me, but he said, I wish I could have been like Gary. Wow. I could have had one family and one wife. That's the example that you want to have. And I saw that in Gary Carter, and I wanted what he had, but I just, I wasn't there. I wasn't at that place in my life. I was empty, I was broken, and I was very confused. Okay, so you, you're starting down the wrong path in terms of, uh, you know, the drugs and the alcohol and whatever, but you're playing on a team, the 86 Mets, won 108 games. Uh, you, you won the NL East by 21 and a half games out in front, and yet when you go to the World Series and you come back victorious over the Boston Red Sox, Davey Johnson, your manager, says, the bad guys won. Yeah. The bad guys. 
This is, this, is your, this is your manager. Why did he say the bad guys won? Well, because we were the bad boys of baseball. You know, we had this personality. Like I said, we lost to the Cubs in 84, came close. Now, if it was a wild card, we would have been in it every year because we won, finished in second. We lost to the Cubs in 84, and we lost to the Cardinals in 85. 86, we come back, spring training, the first thing, Davey said our first meeting in spring training that we're going to win it all. Now, we had a reputation. We built a reputation because we... We were bad, you know, we would fight, you know, we, would, we, we knew we were coming into town and our guys would go into places and go into bars and fight and do all kind of crazy things. And, you know, we were, we were, all, we were always headline news, you know, for, and, and, and our fans loved us because we were like that. We had, we, we, we had a chip on our shoulder about winning. And I think that's why we were so great because when you look at that team and go back and look at that team, it was greatness all around on that team. Uh, you know, after falling short, and when you come back in, in, in that year, and we just dominated. And we, we beat the Cardinals, and we swept them early in the season, and Whitey Herzog said, they're going to win it all. And, and we ran away with the division, and, and, we, and we did. We went on to um, beat Houston in that um, playoff series, which was tough, and the World Series tough. We fell down two games, but we came back, and we battled, and then we won it. Yeah, so yeah. you're winners. But you're bad guys. We winners, but we bad guys. But, but well, bad, yeah, you yeah. know, you play in New York. New York is really different, you know, I mean, with the fans and, you know, the craziness that goes on. They, they, and, but we had, like I say, we had a lot of guys with uh, serious personalities, strong personalities, and bad off the field. You know, they were just really bad off the field, getting in trouble all the time. And uh, some of them are still in trouble today, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, because their life hasn't changed. And, you know, I used to be a part of that. I, I was one of the bad boys, you know, in the back of the plane. You know, we gamble, we drink, and we talk crazy, smoke cigarettes. You know, it was just crazy, you know, crazy time for us. Did that, you know... Did, did, did the drugging affect your game? I mean, initially, you're taking greenies, you're taking amphetamines because it's helping you see the baseball, you know, better. But is there a downside to all this drugging? Well, eventually it will. It will catch up with you. It, it, everybody starts off when, you know, when you get into pro sports and everybody starts off with pills and stuff like that because of uh, the stressful uh, life, you know, and and uh, what players deal with in the nightlife and the drinking and bars and girls, you know, and you, you need something to take when you play a game. You wake up the next day and you got to take amphetamines. I didn't really know how good I was, and I got addicted to amphetamines early, you know, in my career, in my, in my 20s, and started taking them, and I was taking them for a long time, and you get wired, you know, the amphetamines wire you up when you plan, and you, all you do, you don't hear the crowd, you don't hear people, you know, they're there, but your zone is like just really into the ball game, and, and, and the baseball looks so big coming in, and you just be like, man, I used to crush it, you know, because it was just part of, learn, that's the way, I was taught by veteran players, this is the big leagues, and I remember they introduced me to cocaine on my rookie year on the back of the plane and said, welcome to the big leagues, I was 21. You broken, I want to fit in, you want to be a part. And it's just like anything else, pastor and society, people want to feel, feel a part of, they fit in, they do this and they do that. It's the same thing in sports that, that happens to young players. Yeah. So drinking, drugging, let's get around to the womanizing part, you get married to Lisa, did that stop the womanizing part? No, of it didn't. I mean, I was too young to get married, and I got married when I was 21, and I was at the height of my career, one rookie a year that year, and she got pregnant, and so I decided well, I needed to marry her because that's just, that was the right thing to do. And, and going into the marriage, I knew it was going to be trouble. 
you know, some, a lot of trouble in the marriage because there was no stability inside of myself, you know, to, to be a man. I wasn't a man, okay? I was just a baseball player. People think people are a man because they got rich and they got fame and they got fortune. That doesn't make you a man. You know, it just make you an athlete or whatever it makes you, but that doesn't make you a man. And I wasn't a man. I had to go through some really hard times in that first marriage. So really hard times. Really hard I mean, times. You, you guys started fighting. Uh, you pulled a gun on her, got arrested for domestic violence. Uh, Mets decide maybe they can clean up your life, so they send you to rehab. Did rehab work? Well, it, it worked for the short period of just being there, you know, getting away because I was drinking. And, you know, when I, I, I was turning out to be just like my father. Yeah. Something that I didn't want to be. You know, and it's something that I said, because my mother raised me right. And here I am acting, you know, completely like a heathen, like my father was. You know, pulling out guns, drinking. Um, and it's real, you know, and you, when you look back on it, and you, you, you wonder, you, at the time, you don't know what's wrong with you, but you look over and you know I'm broken on the inside. Yeah. yeah. You know. So, so if, if rehab just dealt with the symptoms, the right. superficial. What, what was the root that rehab didn't get to? Oh, it didn't get to the spiritual brokenness of who I was. Okay. And I think the spiritual brokenness of people's lives are real. You know, now that I know and been in recovery a long time, um, due to the fact that I've, you know, got over 17 years, my wife got over 21 years, um, we know that spiritually is a problem in the inside. I mean, you can go all the rehabs you want. I went to the best rehabs. You know, I went to Betty Ford. I went to Hanley Hazleton. All the rehabs you want. Uh, that's still not going to change you. It's gonna, it could stop. Maybe it could stop you from drinking and drugging, but it's not going to change you spiritually on the inside. And that's, that's the deeper part where people never go. And only one person can change you on the inside, and that's God himself. That's the place that we all yearning for. And it's, it's an emptiness on the inside for everybody and everything we do, that empty place. Only God can fill that empty place on the inside of us. And so many people don't understand that. And I didn't understand that either. I went to all these different places in rehab, but I never got the God piece. And the God piece is so deep and it's so real and it's so, you know, because the, the affection that God has for you and what he brings to you is far greater than anything else that we will ever receive in this life, and we don't know that until we receive him. Yeah, yeah, I think we yeah. could. Yeah. So let's talk about the spiritual for a moment, uh, because there was a flash of spirituality there. Your, your brother Mike becomes a Christ follower, and it intrigues you a little bit. You start going to church. And you say in your autobiography that the pastor prayed over you and you even felt a little like a power surge. But it didn't take. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, it didn't last very long. Why not? Well, because I didn't have the true encounter and relationship with Christ. Okay. It, 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 it's a relationship. If you don't have the relationship, I don't care how many times you come to church, throw your hands up, oh, Jesus, oh, fall out, whatever you do, and have a good moment of poof, I feel good but do I have a relationship with him? See, I never had that relationship with Jesus. Yeah, so you can have a superficial Christianity. No. It doesn't change you one bit. It's never going to change you because right. the enemy is real. Yes. You know, and the enemy knows that you don't know Jesus. You know, a lot of us, and you know, that's the thing about so many of us, you know, we, we holler Jesus, yes. but we just know his name, but we don't know his power. 
Yeah. See, we, did, we know his name, but we deny the power. The power is what brings about the transformation. Absolutely. And that's where the relationship with so many of us don't have. And that, that's, what, that's what we'd be missing, you know, like Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed, you know, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If it doesn't get renewed, you cannot have this relationship. Yeah. You know, you, you just, you're just going to know his name. And I was that same person. Oh, hallelujah, throwing my hands up. But I never had that relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And I missed that part. And that is such a critical part in who we, who we become. Yeah. Because well, we're, we're, we're going to come back to that. Okay. That, that's, a, that's a really important point that I want to make sure everybody understands here. Your relationship with Lisa eventually ends up in divorce. Uh, you hook up with a new woman named Sharice. She gets pregnant. You guys run through the same problems uh, again. I mean, there is there's domestic violence problems there, uh, and and yet you go through the same same cycle. You start going to church. You start serving the poor. I mean, you're doing like all the right things spiritually, but it's not it's not deep. And and then something happens to you physically, that kind of puts you right back in in the drugging world. What, what, what happened to you physically? Well, physically, I went, yeah, because I married Cherise, and she was a wonderful woman, and I got three beautiful kids with her. And, uh, you know, I went through the same thing that I went through with Lisa because I wasn't well. And physically, I started, I ended up getting cancer. I got colon cancer twice. Um, during the season, that 98 season, I, I ended up with colon cancer, and then it reoccurred. In 2000, then I lost my left kidney in the second surgery. So if you guys never seen a miracle from God, you're looking at one. Mm, yeah. That's, that's, that's the, you know, I, and I have, I have to say that to, to, so people can understand how good God really is. You know, he's the miracle maker. You know, and in the midst of all that, you know, with Sharice, you know, I can say, I say this to anyone out there that needs to hear or wherever online need to hear. Uh, I made a lot of bad mistakes. I wasn't a man. I was a bad, bad man, and, and I hurt a lot of people. I hurt two wives, and I hurt like five kids. But I was able to go back and make amends to them yeah. and tell them I was sorry after God changed me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. don't take this life for granted like, you know, yeah. a lot of us do, and we think it, it becomes about all of us and not about what's really important. People's lives are important, and, and a lot of times, you know, uh, when you play professional sports, they tell you you can do whatever you want, or if you're rich, you can do whatever you want, say whatever you want, but you're going to have to pay a price at the end of the day with God, and you just, we all do. We're all going to have to answer to what we do here and, and how we treat people. Yeah. You talk about the wives, you talk about the kids. I, I was watching the ESPN documentary on Daryl Strawberry, and uh, you know the line that just broke my heart listening to it? And I saw tears come into your, your eyes when you said this. You said, I broke my mo mother's heart. And I thought, oh, wow. And uh, that's got to be about the worst. Yeah, that's the worst, you know, because mom raised me right. And she didn't raise me about being rich and famous. Yeah. Yeah. She raised me with principles. She raised five of us by herself. Yeah. And she loved the Lord. And um, wow. I, I broke her heart. You know, she, she died early. She died at the age of 55. She had terminal breast cancer. And when she was on her deathbed, you know, she was just looking at us and she was asked me to pray with her one night and I prayed with her one night and she goes, mm, you can pray. And she said, the Lord just spoke to me and she said, the Lord said, 
he's going to get it out of you. She said, you're going to go through it. <laughs> Whoa. She said, you're going to go through it. Mom, she told me that. She said, you're going to go through it. But the Lord said he's going to get it out of you. Wow. And wow. we didn't know at the time. Yeah. And after her passing, my sister found a journal under her bed. And she brought it to me and showed it to me. And there it was. Mom had been talking to God about all of us. Deliver them. Bring salvation. Set them free. Wow. Set them free from the drugs. Set Ronnie free. Wow. Do whatever you have to do with Daryl. Knock him off his throne. Not, and do, and wow. there it was. And it came to pass. You know, and I think people don't understand that. You know, mothers out there, wherever you are, and dads or whoever you are with kids, don't give up on them. Yeah. Pray. It might not be for you to see it to happen here. Yeah. My mother didn't see it happen here. But my mother watching me and she says, look at him. I can just imagine what she's thinking now, you know, because she prayed over me and her prayers did not come back empty. You know, I'm an evangelist and I traveled 250 times, just like she told me what God was going to do. God did exactly what she said he was going to do. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. what, a, uh, what a great word for moms and dads to hang in there to continue to pray. Okay, so back to the story, you get colon cancer Instead of turning to God, you turn back to drugs, breaks up your relationship with Sharice. I mean, you, you even do some, some jail time. You meet another woman named Tracy, okay? What's so different about Tracy? Well, Tracy was never concerned about me as a baseball player. And, of course, I did some time in prison, you know, ended up in the Florida State Prison because of addiction with a T17169. God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I needed to say that. But Tracy came into my life, and she wasn't concerned about the baseball, Daryl Strawberry fame, because I had nothing. I was in the midst of addiction. She had a year clean. I was just coming back. So, so she had been. She had been into it. Yeah. Drugs. And okay. she, she grew up in the Midwest, and it could happen to anybody. And she, I mean, she grew up, you know, family, um, never lifestyle fast, and got out there and got wild and crazy. Yeah. And... She came into my life, and, you know, I, I needed a sign of, uh, of an angel, and God brought her into my life. And there she was. I, I told her, you know, you don't really want to get involved in me because I'm going to go through you like a tornado just like I did the rest. You know, because I went through my first two wives like a tornado because I was selfish, self-centered, and it was about me. And it was never about, you know, it was never about the principles that my mother raised me, and I didn't get those until I eventually... Um, Tracy came into my life to help me, guide me. God used her as I was, like I said, she was clean, and I was smoking crack and shooting dope, and she was banging on doors down in Florida, pulling me out of dope houses, and saying, God's got a plan for you. You're going to live. I says, why don't you and that God just get out of here and leave me alone, let me die. She says, you're not that lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, she's crazier than me. You know? <laughs> But she said one thing to me that, that really made sense throughout our whole time being together. A lot of things she said was very, is very dear to my heart. That's why I'm the man I am today, because God used her to help me grow. Yeah. And she said to me, she says, when are you going to take off that uniform? Mm. I've never heard anyone tell me that. Yeah, yeah. She it's not said, who you are. It's not who you are. Yeah. You know, she says you're identifying yourself as the wrong person. When are you going to do what God has wow. told you to do? Wow. Wow. You know, I, I was reading your book. And by the way, this is a great, 
autobiography. And you could get it on, on Kindle. Uh, it's called Straw, Finding My Way. And it's page 200 where you finally, you know, uh, you, you meet Tracy and she's sharing this stuff with you. And you decide that you need some distance from her for a little bit. And you go back to, to California and spend like six months and you're digging into the Bible and you're trying to find God. And then there's this word that pops off the page at me because it's one of my favorite words as I, I share Christ with people. It's the surrender word. Surrender. I surrendered my life. But I got to tell you, as I come to that at page 200, I'm thinking to myself, dude, you'd let, you've led me down this path before, okay? You've done the Jesus thing, right. and then you go right back to drugs and womanizing and spiral down, and I'm thinking, no, it's not going to take. It's not going to take, and this time it took. That, that was back, you know, back seven, eight years ago, yeah. and it's, you know, the transformation is continuing in your life. So what I want to know is this. What, what happened, what's behind <laughs> surrender that's so different than the superficial relationship you had with Christ. Well, that, that, that's really good, Pastor, because it was a surrender was the commitment that I truly made to follow Jesus. And if you never commit, you could never follow him. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where so many go wrong. You know, they, they, you, can't, you, you can't halfway commit to Jesus. You have to commit all the way. Yeah. That's the surrender. You get them all or you get nothing. You, yeah, you, you got to get them all. And you, gotta, you really got to get them all because when you get them all, you're going to taste and see and you're going to really know how good he really is. That's when you start having the real appetite. And that's when you start to dive in. That's when you start to commit. That's when you start to not miss um, uh, community groups and things like that. Me and Tracy Bible study and that's the commitment that we got into. We got into the work of the, of the Lord. We started going to help others. We didn't have anything because, you know, we started on a journey together and committed together with God. But she was way ahead of me, and she still is to this day way ahead of me because her commitment was so real. And she dove into the Word of God, you know. And I think and that's what most people don't do. And that's why the Bible says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. They don't dive into the word. They have no knowledge of who God is. And that's what I did. I dove into the word of God and I got rid of, I stopped drugs. I stopped sex. I stopped everything. And I just dove in and I committed. And there I was, you know, saturating myself in the word of God. And there it was, uh, there was the revelation God, because the, the Bible is, uh, uh, the Bible is the blueprint of every last one of us. And it shows us who we are. And if we don't commit to it, we can never fulfill the promises over our life. You could be a preacher. No, I don't want to be a preacher. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> so, okay, I just want to pause for a, for a moment because I want to make sure everybody who is watching, whether you're watching online or you're in one of our, our auditoriums today, please please understand the difference between uh, sort of uh, you know, getting the Christian message the difference between that superficial Christianity and a genuine relationship with Jesus. I mean, you may have grown up in a church where you, you heard the story. The story is we were distanced from God, okay? Our sin pushed a holy God away. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3 verse 23 says, okay? And because when, when you become separated from God, and it doesn't have to be, you know, something heinous. You don't have to be an ax murderer. I mean, j just garden variety sin, selfishness, anger, pride, bitterness, lust, all the stuff that, you know, that finds its way in, into our lives, uh, pushes us away from God. And when you disconnect from God, who's the giver of life, the result is death, 
Okay, spiritual death. That's why Jesus, God's son, comes to the planet to die on a cross. He was taking the penalty for our sins. The penalty is death. So Jesus dies in our place. Now, you may get all that. You may understand it, but mistakenly think that it's just automatically accredited to your account. Oh, I guess we all get this. No. Or, or you may think, well, okay, I want the forgiveness part, but I don't want anything else. No. See, because Jesus is not only Savior and forgiver, Jesus is Lord. It, it means he's king. He's boss. So, so the only way to come into a relationship with Jesus is to surrender to him, to say, okay, I'm getting off the throne of my life. I'm not going to be the king. I'm not going to be the queen anymore. You're going to be my king. I'm going to find out what it means to follow you. As Daryl's been saying, you start to find your way into the Bible, and the Bible begins to shape your life. If you've never done this before, I want you to think about surrender. Okay, if you've got a superficial Christianity and you're wondering, why doesn't this change my life? Why am I still as fearful as everybody else in the midst of this pandemic? Why does it seem like I've got no future with God? It's because you're missing the surrender piece. So thank you for providing that, that, you know, that, that link for us here. So surrender had some real practical ramifications in your life because you surrender to Christ and it's like, oh, I'm living with this, this woman, Tracy, we're not married yet. Yeah. So what happens then? Well, you, have, you haven't completely surrendered. You, you're doing your own will. And she wakes, up, you know, she wakes up one morning and she says, I need to talk to you. I said, what's up? She says, I've been studying the word and I've decided that I'm going to follow Jesus all the way. And she said, I'm not having sex with you anymore. I said, what? <laughs> she said, no. She says, I'm not living like that anymore. She's the love of my life. It's incredible what God has done in our life because, Pastor, we decided to do it the right way and get married. See, God, is, God will not bless a mess. He will clean it up, help you clean it up, but he will not bless it. And we were missing out on the blessings of God. And like I said, I started this journey. I was, when me and her started together, I was $3 million in debt and didn't have a driver's license. God restored us when we got married, and he st we started from the bottom and he multiplied us, and he increased us, and he brought us to this, he elevated us to this incredible place because we fell into obedience to live right. And I think so many Christians don't understand that uh, the promises are so great over our life, but we won't live right. We want to straddle that fence, and we want to, we want to live boyfriend and girlfriend, we don't want to make the commitment. God is not in that. He doesn't judge us. He, he don't, he, he leaves it up to you to make that decision to do it right. Because when you decide to do it right, then he's going to step in, he's going to do his part, and he's going to bring the fruit. He brought the fruit. God cleaned my debt up from $3 million. No man can clean that up. But God cleaned it up when me and Tracy decided to live right for him so he can use us for his glory. I love. No. <laughs> I love your I love your line. In fact, I'll probably steal it and use it from now. You know, God doesn't bless the mess. He'll clean up the mess. But, you know, I've, I've heard it put uh, in, in another way. Uh, God will start with you right where you are, but he doesn't want to leave you there. Right. Okay, he's not going to. So, by the way, just a side note here. You've written a new book that's coming out in January about some of these life principles, some leadership principles that you've, you've learned since following Christ. The name of the book? The name of the book is called Turn Your Season Around. And turn Your Season Around. Turn Your Season Around. You can go on Amazon.com and... and, and slash turn your season around and you can see it it's, it's, it's coming out january 
uh, 12, 2021. And I just think about the season. I didn't know it was going to, God is so good. How would I write a book called Turn Your Season Around? And I used nine chapters in nine innings. <laughs> God is so good. You know, it's, it's God's book. It's not my book. I'm just a vessel. You know, it's his book of what, of what, what he uh, what he's sharing, how one can tr- how one's life can be transformed. He's showing you how he could shape your life and he could transform your life, like he can use your life and create what he wants to create your life and what he's called you for. And I think so many of us, Pastor, we never step into that place of having a real transformation and letting God use us like he wants to use us. Well, Daryl, I got one last question, and we got to wrap it up. I mean, we could talk for a couple more hours. I, I could talk a couple more hours, just baseball, okay, getting back yeah. to baseball. But uh, my last question is this. Okay, we do these inspiring stories weekends a couple times a year. We bring in someone who's got a life transformation story like yours. And our goal is to help people take their next step with God. So whether you're a superficial Christian who needs to go deep and needs to surrender, or you're that person standing on the sidelines who's, who's never said, you know, ne- never had that Jesus, I I want a relationship with you. Never had that conversation. So what I want to know, for the sake of people who are listening, need to take that next step, what do you say to the person out there who's thinking right now, well, I'm glad Daryl got Jesus because he really needed him, Mm -hmm. okay? Because he was a mess. Um, and, you know, he, he had the drinking and the drugging and the womanizing and, the, you know, the violence and whatever. So he needed Christ. But that's not me. I'm just, you know, I'm living in suburbia. I'm working a nice job. I got a decent family. Uh, Jesus doesn't need to be the main thing in my life. So what do you say to the person who doesn't see their need for Jesus to be the main thing? Well, I, I say to that person, you, you're, you're totally wrong. Um, <laughs> because the... The whole thing is, is, is that we're all sinners, and no sin is different than the next, and we all will be saved by grace if we understand the grace of God. And he talks about how his grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And we all weak, and we all gonna go through some weak periods where we're going to have to have uh, a foundation. Yes. See, see, Christ is a foundation. You know, it's a great foundation of anything that you will ever receive. And those that, those that sit back and think they don't need Christ, uh, the enemy has deceived you. You know, he deceived you to make you believe, oh, my life is okay. We live this way. We have a certain life. But he, he, the enemy never tells you at the end of your life that, by the way, you come in with me. Mm-hmm. See, it's not a game. He don't tell you that part. You know, that, he didn't tell me that part. I was separated from God because I was in my sin and living a lost life. And he didn't tell me that part, by the way, you coming with me at the end. And it was because of the grace that God pulled me out of the pit and he he transformed my life and he restored me to wholeness and righteousness with him. See, only God can transform you and restore you. You're no different, I'm no different than all those in the Bible that had issues that God used. See, God uses broken people. He don't use perfect people because there is no one perfect but Jesus himself. So if we can understand that I'm not perfect, I got issues, I might not have been like him, but I still got issues, God help me and heal my heart and restore me back to you. Because God's God whole plan is to restore all of us back to him. And I think so many of us miss that part of who God is, and we allow the enemy to rule and reign. Because he will, he, he will continue to control every thought and everything. But when you enter in with God, you become 
spiritual inside of yourself, not overly spiritual, but you live according not, not, to the principles. Yes, not a superficial spirituality. You get the real thing. Yeah, you get the, you get, yes, you get yes. the real deal when you meet Jesus. When yes. you finally meet Jesus, you get the real deal. Well, here's what we want to do in, in wrapping up. I want to lead you in prayer. So whether you're watching this in your family room right now and you've got kids running around or you're out on the lawn at the St. Charles campus or you're in one of our auditoriums, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender to Christ if you never have. Uh, whether, whether this is all brand new information to you or whether you, you've gotten kind of a, you know, a pseudo-Christianity but not the real thing yet because you've never surrendered. Here's the surrender prayer. And around Christ's community, we say this prayer's got three really important words to it. So you'll hear the words as we pray them together. So I want you to bow your head right now with me because we're coming before Almighty God. And this is like the biggest decision of a person's life, to surrender to Jesus as Savior and King. And the first word you need to know is the word sorry. You know, there's got to be a realization in your heart that your sin has separated you from God. As Daryl said a moment ago, all have sinned. That's what the, the Scripture teaches. You know, no one of us is any better than anybody else, and our sin has distanced us from a holy God. So can you say sorry whether your sin of choice is alcohol or your sin of choice is lust or your sin of choice is pride or it's a grudge you're holding against somebody? Uh, you know, whatever your sin of choice is, would you say right now, God, I'm so sorry? And I realize now that I've chosen death over life because you're the giver of life and I've disconnected from you. Can you say from your heart, I'm going to give you a quiet moment right now. Can you say it and mean it? I'm sorry. You know, the second really important word in the surrender prayer is the word thanks. Now you understand, you've heard Daryl and me describe what Jesus did and why he did it. He came to earth to die on a cross because we deserve death for our sins. We had disconnected from the giver of life. Jesus took the death we deserve to die. Have you ever told him thanks? Have you ever said thank you on, on my part? I, I kind of understood you did something like this for the world, but I never realized it's for me. Yes. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Can you express that gratitude to God right now? If you're still prideful in your heart, if you still don't think you need Jesus, you'll never say thanks. It's only when you're broken and you recognize, yeah, I need you. Thank you. Thank you for coming and giving your life. Yes. Sorry is the first word. Thanks is the second word. Please is the third word. Would you please come into my life? Would you please become my king? I'm getting off the throne right now. Can you tell him in your heart, I don't want to lead my life anymore. I want you to lead it. You know so much better what's best for me. Please come into my life. Please make your Bible, your word come alive to me. Please give me a church home where I could begin to grow. Give me brothers and sisters of faith who are going to help me grow. Please. I need to surrender. I, I need you to be the leader of my life. Please come in right now. Can you pray? This is the surrender prayer. You may think you've had Jesus in the past, but you've had a, you've had a superficial relationship. You, you need to say sorry and thanks and please, if you want the real deal, surrender. 
Now, God, I want to pray for all those who, who just prayed that prayer. Maybe some, God, in some cases, they prayed that prayer years ago, and they got off the path. They wandered away, and they're coming back today yes. and saying, I want you to be my king again. I, I've mutinied against you, but I'm humbling myself now. I don't want to be a rebel anymore. I want you to be my king. So please, Jesus, take over the throne of our lives, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you just pray that prayer, you know, you, you took the first step in a genuine relationship with God, a genuine, true relationship with God. We want to help you take subsequent steps because this isn't meant to be a one-step deal, one and done. This is a daily walk. And so how do you do that? So we put together some information, and here's how you get it. Okay, just go online as soon as this service is over. Okay, go online to ccclife.org. If you're, you're here in person, if you're online watching this, you're already on our website, okay? Check out Next Steps, ccclife.org, Next Steps. There's a question we ask you. We ask you the question, did you surrender your life to Christ today? Would you tap that, yes, I did? That's your way of throwing your hat over the fence and saying, I really mean it. I made this decision. Okay, so identify with Christ today. And the minute you tap, yes, I did, we will send you the information. Now, we've also got a hard copy. If you happen to be in one of our, our auditoriums today, there's a gift bag on your way out. Look at the exit on your way out. There will be a gift bag, a Next Steps gift bag. You could take that home with you. I'd still encourage you to go online and tap that, yes, I surrender to Christ as a way of saying I meant it. And then we'll start getting the information flowing your way. Something else I'd encourage you to do, if you renewed a commitment to Christ right now in prayer, you said, I've wandered by, I've come back, you need to go public. If you've never gone public with your faith in Jesus, you do that through something the Bible calls baptism. And if you want to know more about baptism, we've got a baptism coming up at Christ Community Church. Uh, we baptize a couple hundred people every year at our, our church. And there is an online course you can take. In fact, there's a, there's a course online today at 12.30 and another one, I think, at 2 o'clock. Go online, you'll find that information and uh, be part of our next baptism service. Uh, Daryl, we're going to sing a closing song, but before we all stand and sing that song together, I just want to say on behalf of Christ's community, thank you for being our guest today. Yeah.